we like to say it sustainably profitable because you could be profitable one year and that's it. But you need to be profitable every single year because if not, you're doomed to, to failure, bankruptcy or just disappearing. We have this incredible level of awareness of over 90% of shoppers recognizing the fair trade brand. But that's not all. 80% of them trust the fair trade mark when they're deciding, is a product ethical? The demand for brands that support social initiatives is on the increase. So I think the brands that are stepping up and are making an impact will be ahead of the game in the next 10 years. Hi, and welcome back to the Fifth Wave podcast. I'm Jeffrey Young, Editor-in-Chief of Coffee Business Magazine, Fifth Wave. It's an inconvenient truth that while specialty coffee consumption continues to grow by leaps and bounds, coffee growing itself is for many financially unviable. And the quality of life in coffee growing communities lags well behind coffee drinkers in the Western economies. And so much so the children of millions of smallholder coffee farmers are often choosing not to follow in the footsteps of their parents. And this has implications for our long-term coffee supply. In this episode, we're exploring how three different organizations are trying to address these problems. We'll be hearing from Project Waterfall, a water charity supported by Allegra Group and a number of very generous industry organizations. You'll understand why access to clean water is a critical piece of the sustainability puzzle. We'll also speak with the Fair Trade Foundation to understand why it makes business sense for operators to offer certified coffee. But first up, we're speaking with Carlos Manuel Ortiz Perez of Volcafe Way to learn how Volcafe is prioritizing farmer sustainability in its sourcing practices. Volcafe is one of the world's top three coffee traders in volume. In 2014, Volcafe brought together their entire international team and asked themselves, what are the ways in which they could make a more positive impact on the lives of coffee farmers that they buy from? At the end of this process, the team settled on one key goal, farmer profitability. In this interview with Carlos Manuel, he tells us more about the barriers standing in the way of farmer profitability and what exactly Volcafe Way's 250 on-the-ground agronomists and technicians are implementing with the thousands of coffee farmers they buy from. Well, a big welcome to, to Carlos Ortiz, who's the Volcafe Way manager at Volcafe Limited. Welcome, Carlos. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Um, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about what's the, the Volcafe Way philosophy when it comes to farming and profitability. When you go to a coffee family, 95% of them will say, I have no clue of what my cost of production is. Okay. So you're facing a reality in an industry where most of the people that are producing the coffee are not keeping track of the records and are not having this business thinking or business mindset. So that is where we start thinking, well, how can we help these folks to improve? So here is the catch of our support is how can you be sustainable, which by definition means long term, if you're not profitable. So coffee families, how are they going to do that if they don't even know their cost? We tend to see that their yields are low. The quality that they produce is not the best, but also the cost of what they're producing is very high. And this is where we come into play to try to help them to first improve the knowledge on what farming as a business is so that they can start 
keeping track and making better business decisions so that their true sustainability, which is this long term, can be uh, happening. So on this farming as a business uh, knowledge, we understand that they need to know a little bit more of the agronomic side of the crop. They need to know about finance. They need to know about business administration. And they need to know about social and environmental practices because that's part of being a holistic, sustainable coffee business person. This is a good thing that we do on our trainings with them. We say, okay, raise your hand. Who is a coffee farmer here? And 100% of the people in the audience will raise their hand. So we say, okay, now lower it. Now raise your hand who is a coffee entrepreneur in this room. And they are all looking at themselves saying, well, am I that? Do I know that? What is that about? You know, and there's very few people that end up raising the hand because coffee has been looked at inheritance farming. Most of the coffee families are small. There's very few entrepreneurship thinking. And if you don't help change that culturally, you are not going to actually help on the development of the community, or at least that is our perspective. So the Vol Cafe way is really about providing that entrepreneurial business skills, that training that helps the farmer to be more profitable. Sorry to correct you there is, we like to say it sustainably profitable because you could be profitable one year and that's it, but you need to be profitable every single year. Yeah. Because if not, you're doomed to, to failure, bankruptcy, or just disappearing. What do you see as the main issues facing coffee farmers today? The first thing I would say is the lack of farming as a business knowledge, not knowing the cost of production and also not knowing how to improve on the business perspective. Then I would also add the access to finance and the access to credits most of the coffee families around the world are still unbankable. In order to be a profitable and sustainable farmer, you need cash flow to buy your inputs. Is coffee you know, a viable livelihood for people in rural communities? Or are we going to see as an industry coffee being really the one that just doesn't pay the bills? There, Yeah, coffee is still a viable business. Now, there's some places where Avocado is probably a more profitable crop. Or there's also some places where the illegal planting of some opioids is a better economic option, obviously not legal. Now, what we think is coffee by itself is good, but it's not enough, right? So that's why you need to help diversify the sources of income, either by having other crops or by using your time to do other things, be it handcraft or be it slash the weeds on your neighbor's uh, land. And at least you earn, you earn the minimum wage. Now, there's this other trend paying for the environmental services that a farm provides. What does this mean, Jeff? So let's say you have a river in your plantation. You also have some trees. So if you're the owner, you can decide, I'm going to chop the trees. But what if in the overall income of the coffee, somebody would also be paying for you to keep those trees alive. How about if in that price of coffee, somebody will be paying you to protect that water spring that you have? So there you can have a better layout of all the products and services that you do as a farmer that are not only coffee, because there's some other 
environmental services that could be linked to that coffee production. If I'm understanding it, what you're talking about, the environmental services, are you talking about green credits? Correct. That's something that, that is coming and we're seeing it and hearing it more and more. So that are you seeing in some of the farms that you work within that there are carbon credits, green credits, and in providing them with the livelihoods already? Yeah. So uh, I don't think the carbon credit industry in the supply chains that we manage is that developed yet. Uh, what is the what are the efforts that Volt Cafe Way is doing as of today? As of today, the efforts are on collecting the carbon, water, and energy footprint on the different regions that we have a specific supply chain with a major partner that is interested in understanding that number. So now it's more common that you sit on a table with your partner and say, okay, what are your SDGs? What are the goals you're trying to pursue? What are your indicators? How can we make sure that those are going to happen on the supply chain that you have? And that's where Volcafe Way comes to implement those uh, ideas or gather those indicators so that we can then help the partner report on these indicators and also tell that to their consumer base and say, hey, yes, we're making a progress or this was more difficult than we expected or, or whatever it is. Right. Um, I'm going to ask you one final question just to summarize. What are the benefits to the coffee industry of supporting coffee farmers profitably? I think that by roasters promoting this type of programs and by helping their consumers to understand the realities and context of the rural communities, I think you're actually helping on real sustainability. Real sustainability for us is not only the social or the environmental or the economic, it's actually on improving the quality of life of the coffee family. And what do I mean by that? Well, a farmer that doesn't know the cost of production that now knows it. A farmer that was uh, using 200 days per hectare per year that now is using 40. That is a reduction on labor or on time. So a family that is now more productive with a better quality, with a reduced cost is now more profitable. That means that they can invest on the community development. They can also send the kids to school. They can also fix the roads so that they can have more commercial access for other people from other villages to sell their products and for their products to go to other villages. So there's an entire very complex network of positive reactions. And we have seen it. We see it already. The farmers and families that are decided to trust our guidance. They are now more productive with a better quality. That means a better market. That means also a better price. That means also a lower cost. And that also means that the farm is more resilient to pests, to diseases, to weather. Uh, that's been truly great. Thank you very much, Carlos, for uh, Jeff, um, being with us today. I, I'm sorry, Jeff, but I really want to thank our field team of 250 around the world that are actually the ones doing the job. I'm telling you the story. These are the men and women that are actually making the difference. And I really want to give them the recognition and the appreciation on my behalf and on the roasters behalf and on the coffee families behalf, because without them, we, we really cannot make this, this positive reaction happen. I think that's a great shout. So a big thank you to Carlos Ortiz from Volcafe Way. Thanks so much for joining us, Carlos. Thank you very much. And now we're returning our attention to fair trade. 
A lot has been achieved in the coffee certification space since Fairtrade's inception around 30 years ago. As of today, Fairtrade supports over a half a million coffee farmers globally. The fact is, there's a sizable shortfall between the amount of certified coffees produced compared to coffees actually sold. Hence, demand is lagging supply for certified coffees. In this conversation with Catherine David, Head of Commercial Partnerships at Fairtrade Foundation, we explore how Fairtrade is growing consumer demand, how it is trying to solve the sustainability challenges confronting coffee farmers, and why it makes business sense for coffee operators to offer Fairtrade certified coffees. Welcome, Catherine. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be talking to you about coffee today. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about what is the Fairtrade Foundation? We started over 30 years ago as a people's movement for change. And in fact, coffee was the very first product that we worked in. The Fair Trade movement was born out of a crash in global market prices in the 1980s. And a group of Dutch trade justice campaigners came together to create this new model. And since then, we've grown across multiple markets. Loads of businesses have come on board and more than 750,000 Fair Trade coffee farmers worldwide benefit from the better prices and the premium through Fair Trade. The products we're most famous for are coffee, bananas, and cocoa, but there are also some lesser-known Fairtrade products like flowers, for example, and also more recently, Fairtrade gold. How does the actual mechanism of Fairtrade work? One of the most famous ones is the Fairtrade minimum price. So this is a price that we at Fairtrade calculate through a process which is very transparent and very inclusive of different stakeholders. And this sets a kind of safety net for farmers. In coffee, this has been particularly important because in the last 25 years, 20 of those years, the world market price has dipped below that fair trade minimum price. So today, global market price is less than $1 per pound. Then fair trade coffee farmers are receiving that fair trade minimum price. And that's particularly important when you consider that the average coffee farmer in general lives on about pound thirty-seven a day, which is below the extreme poverty line. The other thing that we're really famous for is the Fairtrade premium. So this is an additional sum of money that Fairtrade farmers receive. Every time you buy a Fairtrade cup of coffee, they receive this extra bit of money and they get to choose how they invest that. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about what the key issues are now facing coffee farmers in, in the world today. Yeah, I mean, I've mentioned low prices, but I guess the two other things that we hear a lot from coffee farmers are firstly the climate crisis deforestation, erratic weather due to rising temperatures, water scarcity, and the emergence of new pests. So we see, for example, farmers in Colombia having to move their whole farms physically up the mountain to find the right climate to grow their coffee. Also this year, we've seen the worst hurricane season in the Atlantic on record. We think in Nicaragua, for example, around 30% of crops grown have been destroyed. And if you just imagine 30% or more of your income being wiped out one year, you can think how devastating that might be. So what are the merits of certification as a form of supporting farmers? Certification is a really effective, scalable way for consumers to know that the business, the brand they're buying from has met a set of transparent sustainability standards. In the case of fair trade, I think certification also provides this track record and depth of expertise to know what are the investments and what are the measures that are going to help coffee farmers? There are some really interesting examples of what that can mean in practice in the long term. So there's a group in Ethiopia called the Oromia Farmers Coffee Cooperative, Women Fair Trade Farmers. 
and they've earned carbon credits from clean cooking. So they've invested their fair trade money in energy efficient cookstoves. And as well as their coffee money, they now have this separate revenue stream from the sale of carbon credits, almost £200,000. And I think these are some of the indirect benefits of certification that maybe you don't see it at first glance. That's fascinating. So what are some of the ways you engage consumers with the fair trade brand? We are this movement for change. We're not just a label. We have this really vibrant grassroots community. So schools, universities, faith groups, towns, they campaign up and down the country every year for fair trade, promoting fair trade products. And we run our big campaign, Fair Trade Fortnight, 22nd of Feb to the 7th of March. It's like a really cold, gloomy time of year. And yet people go out in their thousands to run events and lobby their MPs and ask their businesses to stock fair trade. In Fair Trade Fortnight, do you see like a big spike in the the amount of companies and people actually embracing fair trade? You know, does the supermarket sales go up? Yeah, it's an amazing moment in the calendar because many retailers have it already in their calendar and they do a load of in-store activity and promotion. So we see it as a really important moment, not just for raising awareness of fair trade. Fair trade awareness is very high. It's over 90%. But really building that positive association between the brands who work with fair trade. So around two thirds of the UK public say that fair trademark has a positive impact on their perception of a brand. And fair trade fortnight for us is one of the key moments that we really shout about those brands and help people see, oh, okay, my favorite brand is fair trade or, oh, hold on, my favorite brand isn't fair trade. Maybe I should switch brands. Well, that leads me to the next question. What are the business benefits of certification for those selling coffee? I think I'm going to say there are three key benefits. So firstly, around trust in brand. Secondly, around quality. Uh, and thirdly, around sort of resilient supply chains. So if you think about branding, sourcing or fair trade terms, it shows a brand's customers that this business is committed to paying a fair price to farmers and workers in their supply chain. We have this incredible level of awareness of over 90% of shoppers recognizing the fair trade brand. But that's not all. 80% of them trust the fair trade mark when they're deciding, is a product ethical, which is much higher than any other ethical certification. So I think carrying that fair trade mark on your product, it sends a message to your customer that they can trust your product and that they know that you stand alongside some of the most recognized leaders in social justice in the world. And then you have quality. And I think this is particularly the case in coffee, where quality is, is obviously such an important part of decision-making and brand success. And the quality of coffee sold is really down to the ability of coffee farmers to invest in their business. Fair trade coffee farmers receive fair trade premium, this additional sum of money to enhance their productivity and quality. And they invest at least 25% of that money into those kind of activities. And this is why what we hear from our brand partners, people like Grumpy Mule, for example, tell us, you know, I, I work with fair trade because I know that fair trade coffee farmers are able to invest in improving the quality of the coffee they grow. And then the third main reason is to do with this resilience in supply chains. So if a coffee farmer is unable to feed their family, if they're unable to plan their crop for the coming years, they're going to leave coffee farming. So we think one of the other reasons that businesses choose to work with fair trade is it gives them a really simple and effective way of investing in their coffee supply chain and building that long-term resilience. Wonderful. Catherine David, Head of Commercial Partnerships at Fairtrade Foundation, thanks so much for joining us here today on the Fifth Wave podcast. Thank you, Jeff. 
Now we're finishing this episode with Rebecca Hodgson. Rebecca is the program manager for Project Waterfall. Project Waterfall is run by Allegra Foundation, a registered charity I set up 12 years ago to address the disparity between our daily luxury and the plight of people who grow our morning coffee. The fact that women, children, families lacked access to clean, safe water in our coffee-growing regions, to me, was unconscionable. These days, I'm involved as chairman of the board, while the day-to-day is very well managed by Rebecca and supported by a talented team of industry leaders on the board of trustees. Rebecca explains here why access to clean water is a critical piece of the sustainability puzzle and why it makes good business sense to partner with development charities. I'm delighted to be here today with Rebecca Hodgson, who's head of Project Waterfall. Welcome, Rebecca. Hi, it's nice to be here. Could you tell us a little bit about Project Waterfall, what it is, what it represents and what you're trying to achieve? Since we started, we've brought clean water to over 70,000 people across seven countries in the coffee growing belt, East Africa, Central America, and also we've got one project in Vietnam. And in all of those projects, we work with fantastic local delivery partners that really are the heroes behind the work that we do. They're very, very transparent projects in which we know exactly where the money is going. We have a 100% promise to our fundraisers and to the people who are supporting us. So 100% of the donations that we receive go directly back into the projects. We are quite lucky to be funded through sponsorship from the industry. So we're able to commit that money that's raised back to the people who need it most, which are the coffee communities that we work with. So why water and why coffee growing communities? Well, firstly, water, it's a fundamental human right. It's really something that everybody in the world should have access to. And the health of a community is improved when there is access to clean drinking water, even things like hospitals and medical centers. Having running clean, fresh water on the ground in those environments is just so important. And sanitation, something that I think parts of the world has started to become a lot more familiar with this year with COVID, the importance of hand washing in stopping the spread of infectious diseases. And it's very important in these communities where there are many infectious diseases. Child mortality rates as well drop when a community gets clean water. But where we see the biggest impact is in hospitals and schools. So in schools, sanitation, having toilet blocks at school is a massively important thing for young kids, especially for teenage girls who, if they don't have a toilet block at school, often have to miss one week out of every month due to their periods. And that puts them behind their peers in their class that are male. It puts them in a position where they're missing a quarter of the school year just because there's not access to toilets at school. So then there are the less obvious reasons. It often falls on women to bring clean water back to their family. In some of the communities we work in, it can take up to eight hours for uh, a woman to Crazy. walk to the water point, to wait in line as well for the water. Um, there's huge queues. And then when she collects that water, it, it's not enough and it's not even clean or to the standard that we would expect it to be to. And so when women are spending their whole days basically doing this, they don't have really time for, for anything else. So one of the less obvious benefits of bringing clean water into communities is the gift of time that and they're able to spend their time on much more important things. And then why coffee-growing communities? There's a lot of links between coffee and water. I'd say the most obvious one is that coffee is grown in quite rural, remote regions. They are usually the ones that are forgotten about in development work because they're quite hard to reach. So in many of the regions where our coffee is grown, access to clean water is a struggle. So when we were setting up Project Waterfall, we were looking at coffee-growing communities and thinking, what is it that they really need? And across the majority of them, clean water came out as the kind of number one thing that coffee farmers wanted and needed in their communities. 
Big topic of the day is the issue of sustainability and climate change. How are the pressures of climate change affecting people's access to clean water and sanitation? I would say that climate change and global warming is adding stress to an already difficult situation when it comes to access to water. A lot of the communities that we work with may have established themselves in a community uh, 100, 200 years ago when there might have been an adequate source of water. But with changing weather patterns, desertification, prolonged dry seasons, droughts, these communities that might have had a water source in the past now are in a situation where they don't have access to clean water. So rather than moving an entire community, it's really up to us to use technology and knowledge to access and find water sources for these communities. And a lot of the time that would involve looking for climate resilient solutions, tapping into aquifers, which are quite far below the surface, or tapping into gravity flow systems that bring water down from a spring. What are the types of projects that Project Waterfall gets involved in? So it really differs from each community. I'd say no two projects are exactly the same. A full assessment is done of the community before we start any project to determine which solution will be the best for that community. In some communities in Central America, for example, access to water isn't an issue. There's a lot of water. There's a high level of rainfall. But the problem is the storing of that water in the filtrations. In those countries, we might look more at a filtration system. So biosand filters or eco filters that take the water that is not safe to drink and turn it into water that is safe to drink. In East Africa, the communities will often have a wet season and a dry season. And so we try to look for solutions that can provide water across both seasons. In some communities, that can be a simple rainwater catchment system that can capture the water and store it over the dry season. But in other communities where the rainfall isn't as high or it's less predictable, we would look for bigger solutions. So the one we're currently working on in Ethiopia is a full gravity flow system where we're building a piped network that basically takes the water down from a spring in the mountains into the village. And then we build a network of pipes that then pipe that water out to different tap points so that people can access it from different areas. We want there to be a water point within a 10 minute walk of everybody's home. That's kind of our goal when we go into each community. So what are the business benefits of supporting a, a charity initiative such as this? Well, I'd say fundamentally, it's making a positive difference in coffee growing communities. On top of that, there are also tangible business benefits to aligning your brand with a social initiative or project. Consumers are becoming more and more knowledgeable and more and more socially conscious as well. They're looking to choose products that align with their values and to spend their money with companies that they can see are doing good. So the demand for brands that support social initiatives is on the increase. So I think the brands that are stepping up and are making an impact will be ahead of the game in the next 10 years. So how do people get involved and support Project Waterfall? As a business, it would usually work by donating a percentage of sales. But we also have a bunch of initiatives that have been designed for different parts of the coffee industry. So we have a wonderful roasters program, which is a global community of roasters that dedicate a percentage of their sales to Project Waterfall and then utilize the branding on their packaging to spread the story and raise awareness of what we're doing. And then we have some initiatives that are aimed at restaurants too and cafes. So we have a drop a dime initiative, which is where the restaurants that are serving tap water add a, a one pound donation to a customer's bill when they bring that tap water to the table. And we have a menu item donation initiative where cafes and restaurants can add a small donation to a particular product line. So it could be 5p from every coffee or it could be 10p from every espresso martini or something like that. We've got a paper cup charge initiative as well 
which has been quite successful here in the UK and London. So that's aimed more at cafes and restaurants that have quite a high volume of takeaway coffee. And the premise is really simple. You just add a small fee for each paper cup that you give out with the idea of reducing the amount of paper cups used overall, but also making sure that the ones you do use actually make an impact and are raising money for a good cause. Rebecca Hodgson, Head of Project Waterfall, thanks very much for joining us here today. Thank you for having me. And that's all for this week's Fifth Wave podcast. Please also get in touch and let us know what topics are important to you so we can make this podcast more relevant to you and your business. You can follow the link in the show notes to worldcoffeeportal.com slash fifth wave. And don't forget to subscribe to the Fifth Wave podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast was recorded in the one and only Serendipity Studios in glorious Camden, North London. It was produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, the World Coffee Portal team, James Harper of Filter Productions, and sound engineering by Chris Bristow. And now we're going to leave you with a wonderful piece of music, Quarren Queen by Dylan, that's D-Y-L-L-A-N, a very talented up-and-coming artist, and indeed the winner of the Coffee Music Project, Los Angeles 2019. Have a great week, and until next time, stay safe and stay caffeinated. Yeah.